everybody, it's Doug Bursch, and today I want to talk to you about something that's close to my heart. In fact, probably one of the central motivating factors to everything I do and to the ministry that I'm engaged in. I want to speak about the Ministry of Reconciliation. If I were to look at Christian communication online, through social media, through the church and in the world, I think our biggest problem is we don't understand the mandate to be a part of the reconciling ministry of Jesus Christ. We'll talk about that on today's show. Please join me for Fairly Spiritual. They say that I cannot do what you've called me to. It is not possible, unattainable. I will never see it through. Thanks for joining me today. This is Fairly Spiritual. I'm Doug Bursch, and I want to apologize, uh, but not too profusely, because I'm not that sorry. I want to apologize. How's that for an apology? Apologize that I haven't had a show out in the last, I don't know, three weeks. Um, here's my reasons. Now, normally, a good apology is you just say, I'm sorry. But this is one of those apologies that's really an excuse, so uh, you can take it or leave it. Uh, but I've been sick, so there's one thing. But the main thing is I went on spring break with my family, been sick, and then also I've been working with a deadline for my doctorate of ministry. And so um, the deadline came up, and I'm sorry, uh, blogosphere, uh, webosphere, podcastosphere, uh, you just weren't as important as me finishing those deadlines. I need to get this doctorate. I've paid lots of money. No, it doesn't make me more important. It doesn't make me better than anyone else. But you know as well as I know that I would feel pretty bad if I spent all that money and read all those books and didn't reach my deadlines and was not able to finish strong. So, uh, hey, please pray for me. I'm uh, through the reading portion of my doctorate. Now I've got until uh, about January to work on my dissertation. So with that, I don't know how sporadic uh, these podcasts will be, but I will try to bring these things to you as regularly as possible. Uh, with the fact that I've also been sick, uh, normally when I do these shows, I just go through it. I don't edit things out. I try to treat it like uh, live radio. I did live radio for five years. For those of you who don't know what radio is, when you get into your car or when someone Ubers you from place to place, there's this thing that's near the dashboard that has sometimes buttons and readings and there's numbers on it and AM and FM and music and voices come out of that. And so that's what radio is. And I used to do a talk show for five years and I did it live. And so I like that energy. But because I uh, go into coughing fits from time to time, I'm going to deceive you today because there's two options. I could just cough endlessly. Uh, well, not endlessly, but for five minutes or three minutes, but I will just edit those out. So for those of you who want the reality 
of what this podcast is really about. Just imagine um, every, I don't know, five minutes or so, me stopping uh, or you know coughing and then editing out that portion. So maybe someday I will have the unedited you know director's <laughs> cut or, uh, or, or no, I won't. I will not because no one wants to hear that. Uh, on today's show, I want to talk about reconciliation. And uh, right away, when you talk about reconciliation, I think some people think uh, you're going to make me do stuff I don't want to do or you're going to belittle or minimize true pain or true abuse or true harm. And I could say I'm not going to do that, but I don't know uh, if I have total awareness. Well, in fact, I know I don't have total awareness on how my words affect other people. All I can say is this, please stay with me. Please try to hear my heart and know that I'm communicating this for the purpose of actually, I hope, helping you and also uh, of honoring what I believe Scripture has called us to do. Uh, anything that I'm preaching or teaching today is something that I try to live out, and anything that might seem, wow, man, Doug, that's kind of difficult, it's difficult for me as well. And I know there's varying levels of difficulty depending upon our experience, but I'm not trying to just say, hey, you people over there need to change and be like me. I'm saying this is a strong passion in my life, and I really believe it is one of the central messages that has been overlooked in the communication of the gospel, and that is the ministry of reconciliation. And I'm not talking today about race, racial reconciliation or specific reconciliation where, for instance, uh, war-torn communities where there's an aggressor against another group and you try to find reconciliation for people to come together. I'm not talking about specific areas of reconciliation, specifically areas that I'm not an expert in. I certainly would not be an expert in talking about racial reconciliation. I'm talking in the most general sense, the way the Apostle Paul and the New Testament and the Bible speaks of Christians engaging in the ministry of reconciliation, that we would be reconciled to God and reconciled one to another, that we would be brought in close relationship with God and close relationship one to another, binding ourselves together through Christ. Not just we're together, you know, not to have conflict, but that in community we would have meaningful relationships that are rooted in the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. Uh, before I get into just, I'm just going to share a little scripture here and some stories and talk about the struggles of reconciliation. But one of the things that, uh, there's a story that I think of when I think about reconciliation that so often, uh, sometimes the church, and pastors in particular, we think that our mandate is to give answers, you know, to tell it like it is, to tell the truth. In the social media age, it's just ripe for this, that my goal is to tweet out the perfect answer, the right way we're supposed to view something, the right way to see it, how Jesus sees things, how the Bible sees things, what's biblical or what isn't biblical, or it's not biblical to say the word biblical, or whatever it is, we become experts of rightness. And so much of our communication really is that kind of legalist uh, explanations. And even a podcast like this can become its own form of legalism. But we communicate more so for the point of proving a point of proving we are right and they are wrong, or I am right or you are wrong. We look for the righteous answer, uh, the righteous stance. It's, it's almost uh, more like a political idea of who's the right candidate, who's the wrong candidate, what position should we vote for, and you know what proposition should we be against. It's particularly focused on this, that the goal of communication 
is for a person to communicate as clearly as possible, as strongly as possible, who's right or what's right, and to defend and to argue for that right position, to win the argument. The problem with that view is that that's not biblical. That's not what we're called to do. As Christians, we're not just called to speak about what's right. We're called to be reconciling. And in fact, many people who spend their day, you know, hour by hour, minute by minute, countless tweets, countless posts, countless sermons, talking about what is right, challenging what is wrong, interacting with people about what's right and wrong, are actually not engaging in one of the central ministries of Christianity, which is the ministry of reconciliation. In fact, what they are doing is working against the ministry of reconciliation. Now, I'm already stepping on toes. Some people are feeling bad. They've already stopped listening. Please don't stop listening. Uh, just please stay with me. But it reminds me of this story. Um, I was in a pastor's group uh, hanging out with other pastors. We have all kinds of secret rituals. I can't tell you. But I will tell you that as we were together, um, there's different personalities here, and I'm not trying to tell on anyone, but this is a long time ago, so if you're a pastor friend of mine and if you're saying, is he talking about me? I'm not talking about you. But in the context of this pastor's group, we tell our horror stories, you know, the things that go wrong, The because you can do that. You can just say when somebody treated you poorly, and instead of having to say, you know, I love people and I love Jesus, and I'm not trying to be rude, you can just say it. You can just, um, amongst friends, you can say, man, I was just treated really poorly, and, and everybody can go, oh, I know what that's like. I've had that before. So, you know, we're doing those pastor stories, and there was one guy, one guy in particular, who would always wait till everyone else was done. And you might know this in your conversations. He would never, you know, go first. He'd wait till everybody told their stories. And sometimes I'd try to wait him out, say, you know, because maybe I'm that guy who wants to wait till the end, but I would try to wait him out so that I could tell my story last. But no, no, no. He would wait till everyone was done. And then he would tell the most impressive story of everyone in the room. His story was always better. And so his story would be something like, you know, some woman came up to me and she said something inappropriate, and the story would be, you know, just something terrible. You know, some woman after this sermon, and, and often it was a woman, so there's other issues going on there as well that I don't want to get into. But, you know, she came up to me, and she said, I don't like the way you're doing blah, 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 blah. You know, and he'd, he'd set it up that way, and he'd set up that the woman clearly had done something wrong, and she clearly was rude, and she clearly was in the wrong. And then he would say, you know what I told her? And then he would give us this line. He would give us this perfect comeback, like just the perfect answer to anyone's criticism. Like, and I told her this, the scripture says, blah, blah, blah. He didn't say blah, 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 but you know what I mean? He just would give the perfect answer back, right? Just the perfect scripture quote, the perfect taking the person's words and turning them back in on her or on him. And I'm sorry to keep mentioning her, but I just think I remember that most because there was kind of that arrogant, like I put her in her place kind of thing. And even as I'm telling this story, I'm thinking, Doug, you're kind of judgy. You need to repent of that. But I just, he would just do that, right? He would tell these stories and there'd be this in the room like, wow, you really know what to say. It was kind of the things like when I've left a, a meeting or I've left a negative interaction where you wish you'd said something, but you hadn't, you know, if I just wish I had the perfect words. Well, he did. He had the perfect words. It was the perfect, if you wrote the script, that's what you say. Well, he would kept telling these stories, you know, the strong, confrontive, right word, you know, just the right word, like, like Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. And finally, after hearing a few of these stories, I began to ask him a question. 
I begin to say, so what happened? What did she do? And his next response was, uh, she left the church. And so the next time I was like, so what happened? What did, what did he do? And his response was, uh, he left the church. And I don't know how many times I asked it or listened in, but I suddenly realized that all these great responses, these great right responses, these, yes, that's the answer you give someone. This is the just, correct, right answer. All of those right responses ended with, she left the church. I didn't say anything to him because I think if I did, he would have just given me one of those really strong answers and I would have left the group. I I don't know. I just, I, I didn't say anything. But that stuck with me. It stuck with me that this pastor, this man of God, could could be so enamored with giving the right response, so enamored with having the truth, so pleased with himself, with saying exactly what he thought needed to be said, but so unconcerned with the fact that every single one of his responses was met with distance, division, and someone leaving the church. Honestly, he didn't give one example of reconciliation. He didn't say, that person grew closer to God and we grew closer to each other. Not one. Now, maybe those existed, but not in the stories he told us, not in the stories he was most proud of. In the stories he was most proud of, the hero just says really strong things. The hero just stands for the truth. The hero just goes in and turns over all the tables. And, and you've heard me talk about this, but this to me is one of the biggest lies in our culture. I hear people say this. Right now they've been saying, you know, Jesus wasn't always very nice. You know, he turned over tables. Listen to me. I need you to stop repeating that unless you understand the context in which, in which it is in. Bad grammar there, Doug. <laughs> unless you understand the context the context of Jesus turning over tables. When Jesus went into the temple and turned over tables, he did that for a very specific reason. One, he is the son of God. Two, to teach a very specific lesson about how they had taken the house of God and turned it from a house of prayer into a den of robbers. And he confronted these men, I presume they were mostly men because it was temple work, he He confronted them directly with their sin, and he was aggressive, and he was certainly, um, you know, his eyes were fiery, and he even had a whip in his hand. But then, for every single one of those people that he confronted, for every single one of those people where he turned over the tables, he died for them. He laid down his life for them. He paid the ultimate sacrifice and laid down his life for them. Now, before you quote, well, you know, Jesus turned over tables, so I got to turn over tables. Unless you're willing to die for the people whose tables you're turning over, then you do not understand the context of that justice. The justice of Jesus is always accompanied by the love and grace and reconciling power of Jesus. So I look at this and I, and I think about this scripture, and this is one of the scriptures that, that motivates me for my life. And, and you know, for some of you, maybe you said, Doug, that's not as important to you. But if you want to know my heart, why I do a podcast, why I write a book, or I've written this book and I'm going to write books, and why I'm working on my doctorate, and 
um, anything I do, why I did a, a radio show, why I did a talk radio show, I was trying to bring a reconciling spirit into talk radio. And man, that was rejected. I was rejected by the station I was on. I, I, people did not want that. I mean, some people wanted it, but it was a very difficult environment to be in. Because we do not have a reconciling culture. But I want to just look at uh, 2 Corinthians 5, where Paul talks about the ministry of reconciliation. And he's talking about much more than what I'm going to focus in on. But I just want to focus on the general ministry of reconciliation. He says in 2 Corinthians 5.14, he says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. See, Christ's death is a death for us. It's not just about you know, wicked people doing harm to Jesus, but that Christ died for us. He died for us. If you, if you don't have that in at some level in your concept of salvation, you're not going to engage the ministry of reconciliation because there's a rea- reality that Jesus died for us, that we wanted to be made right, that we understood that our sins still stood before us and before God, that, that we had done things to harm ourselves and harm others that we couldn't make right. And we knew there needed to be justice. And God loved us so much, he was like, I, I'm going to answer your prayer. Doug, I know you want your sins forgiven, not just overlooked. I know you want justice brought to the things you've done to yourself and to others. I know you want justice. And so I'm going to bring justice to your sins. God loved us so much that he didn't just overlook sins. He didn't just say, hey, no big deal. He said, Doug, I know you know it's a big deal. I know you know your sins are a big deal. I know you know that the ways you've hurt your wife and with the words and the things you've said and the neglect and the way you've, you've hurt your children and your friends and the way you've even sinned against your own identity, that those things matter and they don't just disappear with time, that you want to be clean and pure and holy, that you want justice brought to those sins, but you also want to experience love. And so Jesus said, I will be both. I will bring justice to your sins, but I will also bring love and grace and mercy to you. It's not about a wrathful, angry God. It's a loving God who cares about our restoration. And so Paul says here so powerfully, he understood this, that he says, for the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him for their sake, died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That's the ministry we've been given. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Excuse me, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Paul lays it out here so powerfully. We are ambassadors of Christ. Our ministry is his ministry, which is to bring people closer to the Father's love and closer to one another. 
to bring them to the truth of the gospel that breaks down every dividing wall of hostility. We are called to embrace the ministry of reconciliation. For me, this means in every interaction, that is my fundamental goal. I believe that when there's just me, I'm never alone, that God is always in the room. But I also believe that when it's me and one other person, it's never just two of us. There's always three. It's me, the other person, and God. And my goal in my interaction with any other person on the face of the earth is to speak to them, to communicate with them, to abide with them in such a way that I make room for them to grow closer to God and for us to grow closer together in the love of Jesus. That's the ministry I'm called to engage in. It's not to prove a point. It's not to win an argument. It's not to get my guy elected and their guy to lose. It's not to fortify my dogma against their dogma. It's not to protect myself against them. The scripture repeats this over and over again. You know how we're supposed to interact with our enemies for the purpose of reconciliation. Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them, and don't expect to be repaid. Pray for them and bless them. Engage in the ministry of reconciliation. So when I speak the truth to my enemy, it's not so they would be destroyed, but so they would be reconciled to God and be reconciled to me. When I speak to my friends, the goal is not so I can be justified and they can be condemned, but so they can know the love and truth of God and so that we can be restored in relationship as well. When I go into the schools, if the teacher, if there's something that's happened where something has happened where the teacher has taught something or done something that I don't think is right, I go in there with one purpose, the reconciling purpose of the gospel. That any truth that I communicate, it's for the purpose of genuinely showing the love and truth of God to that teacher so that they can grow closer to God and that we can grow closer together in the love and truth of God. That's my number one goal. In every interaction, if a waitress comes to my table or a waiter comes to my table and that waiter gives me terrible service, then when I tip them, I think in one way, I'm going to give a tip that brings them to the reconciling presence of God, the love, the grace, the mercy, the goodness of God. When I'm in a store and I'm in line for customer service and I feel like I'm being treated poorly by the person in customer service, my number one goal is this. It's me, the person in customer service, and God is right there with us, and God has me as his ambassador. I am in that line, not for my purposes, but I'm literally in that line so that God can express his reconciling love through me to that individual. In every situation, I am an ambassador of God's reconciling power. God has placed me in that scenario. So after the accident occurred, the fender bender, and the guy gets out and he starts yelling at me and swearing at me that I'm not put in that situation to defend myself against him, but to look to Christ and say, Christ, show me how to extend your love, your reconciling power to that individual. In every situation. For me, this has radical implications. One of them is this, and I'll, I'll tell you this with any interaction, whether it's through social media or whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, 
my first interaction and my last interaction with an individual better be with the motivation of reconciliation in mind. The fact that many people on a daily basis, and I know there's people listening to this right now, where on a daily basis, you will interact with someone you've never interacted with before, and you will choose to spend that time arguing and fighting and and engaging in divisiveness with the person without genuinely praying for, loving, and actively engaging with trying to communicate the love and the goodness of God to that individual. And that is your only interaction with that person. That's the only interaction you'll ever have with them on this planet, and you've chosen not to embrace the ministry of reconciliation. Or it's your last interaction with that person, and you've chosen not to open the door to reconciliation. That is contrary to the teachings of Scripture. We are not called to be right. We are called to be reconciling. Reconciliation requires love. Reconciliation requires intimacy, intimacy with God, and the ability to see people with God's eyes. Now, when you get at this, People will say things like, well, what are you saying? Then you put yourself in a position where you're abused and you're harmed and you're not, no, not at all. And I'll just give, I can't get into a lot of details, but I'll just, the issue is motivation. You know, there's been some terrible, terrible teaching out there about abuse and for women with abuse. If your husband is abusing you or, you know, if your, if your wife was abusing you, it, it doesn't matter if your spouse is abusing you you have every right to leave that spouse and divorce that spouse. And it's the fact that it's even debated is just terrible. One, Jesus says marriage in and of itself is a temporary institution, but our lives have eternal consequences. And I do believe our lives have eternal consequences, that there is a heaven and a hell. And people say, well, that makes God unloving. And I'm like, no, it doesn't. God uh, has given us choice to love him or not to love him. And if there's just everyone goes to heaven and it doesn't matter how we treat everybody, then God has allowed it on this planet for people to rape and murder and molest with no consequence. That doesn't make God any more loving. That just makes God cruel on the front end versus the back end in your view of cruelty. I don't think it's cruelty that God created us incredibly powerful, incredibly dangerous, and we're so powerful that we have our own volition. And in our own volition, we can choose to do right and we can choose to do wrong. And in choosing to do right, we can choose to love and have intimate relationship with God and with one another. But because he doesn't control us and make us love him, we can also choose to do immense harm and immense evil. And because we're so powerfully made, he will not choose for us or force us to be with him on earth, and he won't force us to be with him throughout eternity. And so I believe the decisions we make now have eternal consequences. And so it is not loving to tell someone, hey, you know, if you're being abused by someone who's living a damnable life, you know, somebody who is beating their wife is literally beating on God, is literally doing the most despicable thing they could do to someone created in God's image. Someone who's abusing another person is harming the image of God, is harming God himself. They are living an antichrist perspective. And if you tell someone, no, just stay with them and validate that. We don't stay with the person and validate that. If you love the person, you say, I'm going to hand you over to your sin. That's a biblical principle. Paul talks about it. Others talk about it. God did that. God handed us over to our own depravity. He said, you don't want me. You don't have to have me, but I'm not going to allow you to continue to sin against others. So I'm going to hand you over. 
So you hand someone over. So the issue is if in the sense of if someone is abused, they in love say, I'm not going to allow you to sin against me another day. Because as you sin against me, you put yourself in a place of a harder heart where not only are you harming me, but you're harming others around me and you're endangering the lives of many, many people. I'm not going to allow you to sin against another person. And out of love, I'm going to do the most loving thing, which is to separate from you, to hand you over to your own devices, and hope that you repent and get your eternal soul right with God. Because here's the deal. Our marriage is a very temporary institution, but your soul has eternal consequences. And here's the other reality. If someone is truly repentant, if someone truly understands the devastation of abuse, they will not only understand that, but they will thank the person. They will go to the person who divorced them and say, thank you for divorcing me because I was so in my sin, in my depravity, in my abuse, that my soul was lost. Thank you. See, it's still a motivating, a reconciling, motivating factor to say, if someone is going to draw closer to God, I can't allow them to engage in behavior that distances them from God and dis distances us from each other. So we're stopping this. I'm not going to allow you to do things that, that bring distance between us and between you and God and endanger your soul and the souls of others. So the most loving, reconciling thing I can do is to hand you over and to create that boundary and to say, no, you don't get to be a part of my life. You, you're before God. I hand you to God. You figure that out, that out between you and God. I'm not your savior. I'm not your judge, but I have the right to say no more sin. I wouldn't let you sin against a little child. I'm not going to let you sin against me. I wouldn't let you murder another person. I'm not going to let you murder me. That is just complete foolishness to say that a Christian put, should put themselves in a position where they, have, where they get to allow someone to sin against them over and over again. It's not the same thing as forgiveness. You can forgive someone and still create boundaries where they can't sin against you again. Forgiveness is not the same thing as safety. Forgiveness is not the same thing as boundaries. You can forgive an abusive person and not trust them and make a boundary where they cannot sin against you again. But in all of this, our heart is still a reconciling heart to hand people over and say, yeah, I've, I've talked with people. I've had to talk directly with them and say, you know, I can't be your pastor anymore. I have to protect these people. I have to shepherd these people. You are out of control. You are in rebellion. You are harming yourself. You are harming others. And I'm not talking about theological differences. I'm talking about abusive people who are choosing darkness instead of light. I've handed people over to authorities. I've not handled things in myself like I'm God. It's like you have broken the laws of the land. You have to walk through those consequences and get yourself right with God. There's no way around this. You get yourself right with God, and if you're truly repentant, you'll do whatever it takes. And if you're not, you're going to try to use other people to leverage your way out of this. And that's a sign you're not drawing closer to God, and you certainly aren't loving the people around you. Reconciliation is the motivating factor of my life. And I fall far short of it. As I'm saying these things, I realize how much of a fraud I am, that I'm not reconciling enough with my spouse, with my kids, with my neighbors, with my friends, that I get angry, I get upset. I, if someone hurts me, I want to hurt them back. You know, not like hit them, but just spiritually hurt them and say something mean or something super spiritual that sounds like I'm right and they're wrong. I want to win the argument. I want to be validated. I want all these things that are not what the gospel has called me to.
Jesus Christ is my worth. He brought me from death to life. He gave me the gift of eternal life, of complete freedom, forgiveness of sins, the fullness of his Holy Spirit, eternal relationship with him. And now he has ushered me into the ministry that rescued me, which is to be an ambassador of the reconciling power of the gospel. That's what I want to ask you. In your personal interactions, when you're in the room, do you see Christ with you? When you're yelling at your friend or your spouse or your kids or yourself, do you see Christ there? Are you letting the reconciling power of the gospel flow through you? Is your motivation to be right or to be reconciling? When you're online, are you caught with your crusades and your dogma and your doctrines? Or is your goal to communicate in such a way that someone finds God? What's your goal? Do you see Christ with you, typing through you, interceding through you, saying this is an opportunity for Christ to come closer to this person? This is an opportunity for the goodness of God to be shared. Or do you make it about your agenda, your hurts, your anxieties, your kingdom? These are questions I have to ask myself. Here's the reality. God doesn't come to shame you and condemn you, but he does come to ask you these questions. My child, what's it going to be about? Are you going to waste your life trying to contend for your worth? Are you going to trust that I gave you my worth at the cross? That I gave you everything? That I have fully said you are worthy, you are clean, you are pure, you are mine. Are you going to align yourself with the good news of the gospel and be the ambassador that I've called you to be? Or are you going to reject the ministry of reconciliation? My hope is you embrace the ministry of reconciliation. Thanks for listening. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you like these shows, if you've been ministered to by this, the most powerful way you can support what I'm doing is to be able to get a hold of the book I've written and either for you to read it or to give it to other people. Uh, you can go to fairlyspiritual.org to find out more information about what I do. You can find the Community of God, a theology of the church from a reluctant pastor, and you can purchase it on Amazon. If you want to buy it for your church, I have group discounts where you can uh, contact me directly. It's the best way to be able to support uh, what I'm doing. Uh, the book is all about how to abide in community even when we don't want to, even when it's difficult. It'll encourage your pastor. It'll encourage you. It'll challenge you, but not as an accusation, but understanding that community is difficult, but it's essential to being human. All right, make room for the Lord. He knows you by name. This song here is written by my brother, Dan Bursch. He has three albums on iTunes. There's many songs there. Uh, you can listen to him and support him as well. I will see you next time. Unattainable I will never